you may have noticed that our, our singing has been rather, uh, our song service has been rather heavy in the area of Jesus and about the blood. There's a reason for that uh, because we wanted to kind of cover this whole service in that because we're going to talk about our adversary, the devil. I don't like to talk about him. He likes for us to talk about him. And for that very reason alone, I don't like to. Amen? And uh, I find it interesting as we get into this subject with you, I've, I've divided this into two parts. And yes, I know it's Palm Sunday and I know next week is Easter. But um, as I was looking at all of this, I thought, you know what? No, no better Easter message can be that of the resurrection defeating the old devil. Amen? Amen. So we're going to get there, but uh, you're going to have to bear with me. And um, I read a story about uh, Mr. Johnson. Mr. Johnson was a businessman from Wisconsin. And uh, he had plans to come to the state of Florida on a business trip. Well, his wife wanted to go, but she couldn't get on the same flight. So she was going to go the next day. So he arrived late in the evening and he got to the hotel and he sent her a quick email. Only in his hurry, he left out one of the letters in the address. And it arrived to a different Mrs. Johnson in New York. An elderly woman who had just lost her preacher husband of 45 years. And she received the email, fainted when she read it. Her daughter came over and read it and it simply was written. It said, to my loving wife, arrive safely, sure is hot down here. <laughs> Looking forward to your arrival tomorrow, it said. So, uh, <laughs> be careful of the address when you type it in, amen? 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse number 8. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him, steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. Now, our key passage we've been using throughout our series is in Romans chapter 8. So let me read to you that key verse 37, and then I'm going to read through verse 39. You're going to see some words here that are going to be familiar through the, through the lesson today. Yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, listen to this, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's pray together. Father, we come to you today, Lord, and we realize that the topic before us is a necessary topic. It's a needed topic as we talk about the fact that you have made us more than conquerors. But Lord, we pray that in all things we might bring you honor and glory, that we would exalt the name of Jesus above all, Lord, we ask for your protection. We pray that you'd put on us the armor of God that you mentioned in your word. Lord, beginning with that helmet of salvation to protect our minds. Lord, realizing that even today, the devil's been working very hard against this service. Some have had great difficulty getting here and others have found themselves sick and unable to make it today and various things have come up. And Lord, I thank you for each one that's here. And now, God, I pray your protection on us. 
Lord, you tell us that we can overcome him by the blood of the lamb. And so we pray for the blood of Jesus to take over and just cover us, Lord, and protect us and bless us as we study this topic. And help us, Lord, to leave this building today realizing we have nothing to fear because we have an ally in Jesus Christ. And greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, let me do this with you. Um, interesting statistic. Let me throw this out at you. I've, I've put it on the PowerPoint. I want to put it on the PowerPoint for you because sometimes numbers are easy to miss when you just say them. 89% of Americans believe there is a God. This is a fairly recent poll. That number is declining, by the way. If you go back, you can Google it, not while I'm preaching, but you can Google it and find that that number has decreased over the last few years even. 89% of Americans believe there's a God. 61% believe there is a devil. Interesting how the number drops. 61% believe there's a devil. 71% believe there is a heaven, and 64% believe there is a hell. Now, I find that interesting that more people believe there's a hell than believe there's a devil. <laughs> Don't you? Now, I want to make this very clear for you. I, I'm kind of a simple guy, and, and the truth of the matter is that if God said it, I believe it. And since the Bible talks about this person known as the devil, Satan, serpent, Beelzebub, Lucifer, all those names, he's also called the tempter, all those names that are thrown out. Uh, by the way, he's also known as the dragon. There's all kinds of terms for him. I happen to believe that, that he's real and that the Bible tells us he's real. And, and what he would love for you to do is not think he's real or to feel like that, that he's not even uh, bothering you or, or that, that there is no enemy that exists. On the contrary, the Bible says we have an adversary. Adversary, the devil, who walks about seeking whom he may devour. What does the word adversary mean? The definition of the Greek word here literally is an enemy or an opponent. An enemy or an opponent. He's not out to help you. He's out to devour you. He would love to destroy your marriage. He would love to destroy this church. He would love to destroy your mind your self-esteem, who you are and what God wants you to be, he would love to destroy that. So let's get that part out of the way. He may come on the scene acting as though he wants to help when in, in fact he wants to destroy. He's a deceiver. He's a liar. He is the father of all liars. So be very careful today. What we're going to do today could be called a bit of a reconnaissance mission. We're going to give you eight points of reconnaissance about our enemy. We're only going to give you four today, though. So somebody said, amen. <laughs> Keep me here till Jesus comes. I got it. All right. We're only going to give you four today. You got to come back next week for the uh, conclusion. All right. The last four. So uh, let's take a look. I'm gonna, uh, we're going to turn this first one very simply, our adversary's design. Now I'm going to warn you ahead of time, there's a lot of scripture that we're going to look at, and I may say some things you've never heard before. On the other hand, we may say some things you're well familiar with, so just bear with me a little bit, and uh, we're going to jump in. But let's begin with this idea of the design. How was he made? What was he created to be? We're talking about Lucifer now. We're talking about this, this uh, arch enemy of Christ and of Christians. So what exactly uh, was his existence all about in the root of his very beginning, in his origin? Well, we could go to the book of Ezekiel for some of this, and so I'd like to take you there to the book of Ezekiel. He is called in the text we're about to read, 
the anointed cherub. Now this is important because a cherub is an angel. It's one of the types of angels that are mentioned. If you've ever studied angelology, you've come across cherubim. You've come across seraphim. And you will know that seraphim are predominantly praise-oriented angels, where cherubim are angels who guard or protect. Now that becomes important. The mercy seat on the Ark of the Covenant. Do you remember the mercy seat when God told Moses how that was supposed to be built? When the mercy seat, the top of uh, the Ark of the Covenant was formed, he, he told him, when you make this thing, make it with two cherubim whose faces are downward and whose wings connect. And you may have seen those pictures. Some of you may have seen it on um, Raiders of the Lost Ark years ago, that kind of thing. You've seen pictures of the Ark of the Covenant and those angels, those are cherubs, cherubim. You might also remember that in the book of Genesis, when man sinned and God drove them out of the garden in order to keep the way of the tree of life, God sent cherubim with a flaming sword to protect the tree of life. That was to keep Adam and Eve from eating of the tree of life once they had plunged into separation from God through sin. So cherubim were used. Now I say all of this because you need to understand that the devil was a created angel. He was an angel, a cherubim. Some people today try to teach, for instance, and if you're here today from this group, you're, I don't mean to offend you, but I want to teach you and I want to tell you what the Bible says. So the Mormons teach that Lucifer and Jesus were both sons of God. That would deify Lucifer. That would make him God. And that's exactly what he's always wanted. And we're going to talk about that more in just a minute. It is not true. The Bible tells us that God gave his only begotten son. Now there's an emphasis on that word only. That Jesus is the only son of God. He is God, the second person. Lucifer was a created angel, a cherubim, who wanted to be like God. Now he's a very powerful angel, don't misunderstand that. I might also take a moment and dispel for you that he is not an archangel. There is nowhere in the Bible that it is recorded that Lucifer was or is an archangel. There is only one archangel mentioned in the Bible and his name is Michael. He's the only one mentioned. Gabriel is not an archangel. A chief angel, yes, but not an archangel. Was Lucifer a chief cherub? Absolutely. We'll talk about that in just a minute. High ranking, but not the archangel. It is Michael, the only archangel mentioned in the Bible. So who then is this person or this angel we call Lucifer when we first meet him. Well, let's take a look. Ezekiel chapter number 28 and verse number 12. Son of man, take up a lamentation for the king of Tyre and say to him, thus says the Lord God, you were the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Now let me pause a moment. There's a lot of debate about this, but most conservative theologians agree. This is a text that is referring to Lucifer. Earlier, he is called the king of Tyre. And there's a likeness made, but this passage, the only entity this could be referring to is the one that we know of as Satan or the devil or Lucifer. We know him by all those names. So he was in the garden of Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering. The sardis, topaz, and diamond, beryl, onyx, and jasper, sapphire, turquoise, and emerald with gold. 
The workmanship of your timbrels and pipes was prepared for you on the day you were created. Let me pause there a moment. There are many people who take this to believe, and you may have heard this story, that somehow he was the song leader in heaven. I don't know how many of you have ever heard that or not. I don't believe that, by the way, but music was part of what he did. And that's the reference to, uh, to his musical um, abilities and talents. And it is no secret, by the way, that music happens to be one of the things he tends to use uh, to infiltrate the minds and thoughts of people. And you say, Pastor, now you're sounding like an old-fashioned preacher. I'm just telling you like it is. And if you, if you don't agree with that, then you come back to me with a better interpretation of your timbrels and pipes were prepared within you. And you'll find out that what I'm talking about is accurate. Nonetheless, the next verse says, You were the anointed cherub who covers. Verse 14. You were the anointed cherub who covers. The word covers in that text literally means who sat in a seat of authority. You looked over. You watched over. Now let me pause for a moment and give you this perspective, okay? Of all the terms that we use to refer to the devil... They're all very negative terms except for the name Lucifer, which he was given as an angel, and another phrase that is used about him in the scripture. That is the prince of the power of the air. That is not a derogatory term. It doesn't mean such as the names devil and, slant, devil and Satan, which mean slanderer and deceiver. It doesn't mean that. So what is meant by that phrase, the prince of the power of the air? Well, it was his position. It was his title. He was the covering cherub that covered. He was the anointed cherub that covered. He was the authoritative cherub. Now some of this is going to uh, come into a better light with you in a moment. But uh, let me finish reading verse 14 again. Uh, you were the anointed cherub who covers. I established you. You were on the holy mountain of God. Very interesting thought. Holy mountain of God. He was in the garden of Eden. On the holy mountain of God. You ever wondered where the Garden of Eden was? We're going to talk about that in a minute. You're going to have to hang on. Verse 15. Did I get there yet? No. Verse 14. You walk back and forth in the midst of fiery stones. You were perfect in your ways from the day you were created till iniquity was found in you. Very interesting. Some people think, well, uh, Lucifer was created with his own will. Angels at one time had a will. There's not an indication of will, but there is an indication that at least Lucifer was in a position of being able to make decisions based on his authoritative seat as prince of the power of the air. A chief angel who had been given, let me get a little ahead here, given a seat in which he oversaw, I believe he oversaw the earth, the earth, and his throne was in the atmosphere. His authoritative seat was in the atmosphere. You say, you got any proof on that? Yeah, I'll get there. Hang on. So prince of the power of the air. Now, let, let's, uh, let's stop. Well, let, let me finish. Verse 16. By the abundance of your trading, you became filled with violence within, and you sinned. Therefore I cast you as profane thing out of the mountain of God and I destroyed you, O covering cherub, from the midst of the fiery stones. Now, so, so let's get this picture. His design was he was perfect. But obviously within him was the capability of sinning. Now that's not too far off from the way man was made. The difference though was man is made in the image of God. Right? Now, the big difference is this. Angelic beings were not created as 
body, soul, and spirit. They were spirit beings who could on occasion take on physical form. We know this based on angels being able to appear in physical form. We know this from reading the scriptures and understanding that. Satan sometimes appears as an angel of light. By the way, he does not dress up in a red suit with little horns and a big long tail, pointed tail. Uh, that is not the way that he looks. Uh, somebody said uh, uh, that he actually looks like everything you ever wanted and desired in life. The subtlety of the devil is remarkable. As a matter of fact, some of us, if we can get past our own pride, we would have to admit man was made, and David said this in the Psalms, we were made a little lower than the angels. Now that means this, that he's smarter than we are. Now I know that really hurts our ego, but I'm telling you it's true. And the sooner we realize that, the better off we're going to be. That we have to learn to depend on God. We have to learn to go back and get that armor on that we've talked about. Learn and go back and lean on our ally and let Jesus do the battling for us. You'd be so much better off if we get that through our head for just a minute. You don't want to take him on one-on-one. -on -one. You want to take him on in the name of Jesus and let Jesus do the battling. And that's important that we understand. I read something online earlier this week. It was a note to Satan that said, Dear Satan, today is not your day. And tomorrow is not looking good either, it said. <laughs> I don't recommend that you say that to him, but you can ask Jesus to send that note if you want. That's all right. I don't think you have any business conversing with him myself, for whatever that's worth. So Jesus created the angels. This is interesting. Now let's begin to set apart the angels from Jesus. Far, far greater than the angels is the one who created the angels. Colossians chapter 1 verse number 13 reads this way. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of his son, of the son of his love. Verse 14. In whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God. We're talking about Jesus now. The firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are in earth. Now listen to this phrase. Visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him. So let's make no mistake about it. Lucifer may be directly opposed to God. But he does not compare in any way to God. He is a created being and God has always been. It was Jesus who created the angels. And so he is not brothers with the Lord Jesus. Angels were created before the earth was created, according to a passage written in the book of Job. Job chapter 1 and verse number 6 gives us a designation we can read, and this is where some confusion sets in for some, but really if you understand the Bible, you see it's a phrase that is used and translated in the English, sons of God. It doesn't mean son of God, as though he is part of God and related to God, but it's talking again about the creation of God, and it's particularly referring to a group of angels. Listen to it. Job 1 verse 6, now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord and Satan also came among them. You see, some of us have the opinion that the devil was cast down to hell and that's where he stays. You've heard me say it before that he's down there eating his deviled food cake and deviled eggs and just having a great time down there and, 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 and that's what he does. And, but that's not what he does and he's not there. As a matter of fact, he goes in and out of heaven and accuses the brethren day and night, the Bible says. 
He roams the earth seeking whom he may devour. So in this particular occasion, the Bible says he comes before God. At the end of the book of Job, or toward the end, uh, God is questioning Job in verse 38. And beginning in verse 1, we read these words. Then the Lord answered Job out of a whirlwind and said, Who is this who darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Now prepare yourself like a man. I will question you, and you shall answer me. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? To what were its foundations fastened? Or who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together, and all the sons of God shouted for joy. You see, the angels existed before the Lord spoke the earth into being. And what God said was, where were you, Job? You, you think you've got all the answers? You think you get all this figured out? Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Where were you when I spoke the world into being and the angels shouted for joy? Now this becomes significant because you need to understand that when God had created that, he then put some of his creation in charge of it. The prince of the power of the air and at least a third of the angelic realm who served under his command. We're going to talk about that in just a minute, if I ever get to it. I'm working on it. So to think that Lucifer is equal with God, like the equal opposite, is an incorrect thing indeed. He is not omnipotent. He is not omnipresent. He is not omniscient. He has none of the attributes of God. Let's get that very clear. Someone said the fact that he knows that he was not omnipresent it's why he created an organization known as Mother-in-Laws. I don't know if that's true or not, but. Can we delete that part of the sermon for my mother-in-law? Number two on our list, in our reconnaissance, we talked about our adversary's design. Let's talk about his defiance. His defiance. He was perfect until iniquity was found in him, the Bible says. He had this rebellion that led to an act of violence, the Bible says. And by the way, be very careful. You can, you can open up your home to certain activity that you really don't want in your home. And, and if we begin to understand some of this, some of the stuff we invite in, man, uh, the, the, um, the saturation of, of demonic activity and presence in it. You, you ought to stop and question some of that and, and ask yourself, is this really what you want to expose your children and your grandchildren to or your wife or your, yourself to? If this really something you want to do, because it can have a lot of problems. And I'm talking about uh, things that are related to uh, the demonic stuff as well as the violence that uh, can play a part in all of this. And uh, nonetheless, the Bible says this. We're going to look at Isaiah chapter 14. This is the text most people are aware of in reference to the fall of Lucifer, his defiance. And I want to show it to you. Isaiah 14, beginning in verse 12. How are you fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How are you cut down to the ground, you who weaken the nations? For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. Let me stop. I will ascend into into heaven it means he's not in heaven next statement I will exalt my throne it means he has a throne 
above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. Yet you shall be brought down to Sheol to the lowest depths of the pit. So the Bible tells us these are, and many of you may have heard, makes a great message, those of you that are preachers and teachers, the five I wills of Satan, all of them right there. I will do this, I will do this, I will do this. Five times he mentions it. The Bible says it's all rooted in pride and, and, and this has come out, this rebellion, this defiance has come out uh, that is rooted in this, in this self-worth uh, that he has placed uh, on him. And he said, look, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to be like God. And he wants so desperately to be like God. He wants to be worshipped like God, called God. He wants to be in that place of God. He wants to be first and foremost among all else. And he's been working very hard at trying to accomplish that. Does he know his end? Yeah, he knows his end. But it doesn't keep him from striving to do all of the stuff that he originally wanted when he made that decision. So Prince of the Power of the Air, I believe, is a reference to his throne in the atmosphere. Not in heaven, but in the atmosphere. Prince of the Power of the Air, his throne his, his abode, his domain, we will, uh, we will talk more about that as we continue our reconnaissance. But uh, I, wanted, uh, I wanted to give you that text. Now, there's an interesting statement where he said, I will also sit on the mount of the congregation of the farthest sides of the north. Um, this could be a reference back to when God said in Ezekiel that you have been on the mountain of God and you have been in the Garden of Eden. Now, I want you to remember that. Uh, and we're going to talk more about that now. Number three in our notes, our adversary's descent. Our adversary's descent. We could call this the fall. The fall. Now you don't get very far in your Bible if you're reading your Bibles through until you come, of course, to Genesis chapter 3. Right? And right there in the middle of Genesis chapter 3, we meet Satan. He's called the serpent in that text. You remember the story? Let's look at it. Genesis chapter 3. And verse number one. Now the serpent was more cunning or subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden. Now let's pause for just a minute. Interesting that Satan knows what God has said. Make no mistake about it. I have, uh, I've shared with you before, and I want to make this very clear. Satan often just misuses Scripture more than he misquotes it. He will quote it correctly, but he will misapply it. And he will give you parts of it and make you think that what you're doing is right. When it's of God, it'll be all right, not just partially right. A half-truth is a whole lie. And the devil is a master at it. And if you're not careful, you'll fall right into it. And Eve does, by the way. Has God not said you may freely eat of all the, all the trees? Well, uh, God said we may eat of all the trees, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden. God said you shall not eat of it, nor shall you touch it lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. Now here again, half truth. What he's saying is you're not going to drop over. And they didn't. Did they? They didn't just, boom, they're done. We ate of the fruit, that's it. I don't believe Adam would have taken, uh, taken a bite. You know what I'm saying? 
Eve fell down dead, I don't think that would have happened. But, but she ate of the fruit, she appears okay, and so he eats of the fruit. He is with her, the Bible says, which is an interesting thing. She didn't have to run across the garden to find him. He's listening to all of this. For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Oh, he wants for you what he wants. You will be like God. Now tell me that's not a modern culture of humanism. That you and I are God. That you and I are our own authority. That there is no accountability. It's an old tactic. It hasn't changed any. So this is what will happen. So when the woman saw the tree was good for food and it was pleasant to the eyes and tree desired to make one wise, she took of it, of its fruit and ate. She gave also to her husband who was with her and he ate. He ate. Interesting story. Now here's a, here's a thought for you. So, so we read in our Bible that God creates man. A few days later he creates woman. And uh, well a little while later he creates woman. And, uh, uh, and, and so, uh, so he places them in the garden. And, and, and here is Lucifer. When did that happen? It's not recorded in anything that you read in the first few pages of the Bible. Of all the days of creation, uh, of all those, it's never inserted. Oh, by the way, this is when Lucifer pulled his thing and when he fell. It's not there. And why the Garden of Eden? Why would he be there at that particular place? The Bible said in Ezekiel, he was in the Garden of Eden. And on the mountain of God. It's interesting that the Temple Mount today, according to uh, Jimmy DeYoung, and many of you have heard that name, no doubt, considered an expert in the area of prophecy, was actually a missionary in Israel for a very long time. There is a spring that is flowing from the Temple Mount. And they really don't know what to do with the water. It's believed to be the source of what is known as the Gion River. Now follow with me for a moment, this is important. If it is indeed the source of what may produce the Gion Spring as well as the Gion River, then what you have may be evidence of where the Garden of Eden was on the Temple Mount. Because in Genesis chapter 2 and verse number 10, the Bible says, Now a river went out of Eden to water the garden. Now you may have read there were four rivers. Not so. One river that branched off into four. So the Bible says, now a river went out of, the, out of uh, Eden to water the garden, and from there it parted and became four riverheads. Verse 13 says, the name of the second river is Gion. It is the one which goes around the whole land of Cush. So we know the Bible records for us that the river Gion was, a, was attached to whatever spring started. The mouth of the Gion was in the Garden of Eden. Now it makes sense if the Temple Mount is where the Garden of Eden was. A lot of things are said to have happened there. It's where Isaac uh, was offered, many believe, uh, by Abraham. It's where, of course, David purchased and ended up building the temple, or uh, Solomon built the temple. And so it could very well be that what is there now as a trickle of water is the mouth of the Gion and proof of where it was, which says this. The fact that he was kicked out and he rebelled and he said, I will sit on the mountain. I will do exactly what I want to do. It makes 
perfect sense then that when Adam and Eve are there, they run into the serpent. And that's how he got there. I happen to believe he got there before Adam was ever made. And, and so he was somewhere. Now, uh, I will invite you to a Wednesday night study, not this Wednesday, but the following Wednesday. And we were actually, we're going to talk about Genesis 1-1 and Genesis 1-2 and what may have happened in there. Some of you uh, say, well, there's a gap there. And we're going to talk about whether that's an accurate way to display it, how old the earth is, and what may have happened. But I personally believe that what you see in Genesis 1 verse 2 when the earth was without form and it was void and darkness covered the face of the deep was the result of Lucifer's fall, of his descent. It wasn't that way when God created it. And so it opens up a, a very uh, interesting study. I do not know of anything God ever created in stages. Let me give it to you this way. For God, it is not more difficult to say, boom, and there is a world that is perfect than it is for him to say, I think I'll start with darkness and a big lump of dirt there covered in water. I think I'm just going to create something that looks sort of chaotic and then make order out of it. It's not more difficult for God to have just spoken into being in absolute perfection. And so you have to ask yourself, what happened to it? It's a legitimate question. What happened to it? I happen to believe it was the fall of Lucifer. And uh, he's been trying to impact the world ever since. So here we have his descent. So now that he uh, has been cast down, if you will, does he still go in and out of heaven? Yes, he does. In the book of Job, we read that earlier. But I want you to turn to the book of Revelation with me for a moment. I want to show you this text in Revelation chapter 12. Would you look there, please? Revelation chapter 12. Now, there are many people who confuse this text with the passage back in Isaiah. And I don't want you to do that. I want to give you a better understanding, if I could, of what is going on here in this. Isaiah chapter 14 is where Lucifer is cast down, but he still is allowed access in heaven. He's removed from his position. And I happen to believe the book of Revelation, we'll mention this in a minute, tells us he drew a third of the stars with him. Stars is another designation for angels. Many times it appears in the Bible. So people have asked me, Pastor, does that mean that at least a third of the angels could make up their own mind who they were going to follow? I don't believe that's the case. I believe they were created to follow his leadership and his command. And when he fell, he took them with him. A third of the stars. You say, how many is that? Whatever a third of an innumerable number is. Because angels are innumerable. The Bible tells us we don't know how many there were or how many there are. We just know that two-thirds of them are holy angels and one-third of them fell with Lucifer according to Revelation. Uh, and I believe that's in chapter 12, verse number 4, which we'll read in a moment. But as of right now, Revelation 12, uh, beginning in verse 9. So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old called the devil and Satan who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth and his angels were cast out with him. Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength in the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down. And they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they did not love their lives to the death. 
Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and the sea, for the devil has come down to you having great wrath, because he knows that he has a short time. Now we read that verse earlier in our congregational reading, that passage. But that is not synonymous with Isaiah chapter 14. This does not take place until during the tribulation period in the future. When Satan, listen to this, is no longer allowed access in heaven. Right now, according to the book of Job, he goes and he has to give an account. According to the book of Revelation, he goes and often uses your name and my name to accuse us. It sounds something like this. Did you see what they did? Did you see what she said? Did you see what he did? Did you see that God? Accusing the brethren night and day. Now don't worry too much about that. If you've been saved, then he simply says back, yeah, did you see what I did on the cross of Calvary? I took care of that. That's under the blood. That's been forgiven. That's done. Yeah, I'm disappointed in him, but he'll straighten it out. She'll straighten it out. She'll come back to me. She's going to East Point. She'll get it right. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Until this time, and Michael is the one, by the way, who casts him out. Verse number 7 says, And war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon. So the devil is called the dragon in that text. Michael fought with him. Michael kicks him out. God doesn't even have to do this. Jesus doesn't have to do it. He sends Michael, the archangel. He does it. He takes care of it. God said, handle my light work. <laughs> Amen? <laughs> All right. The descent. Number four. Our adversaries, deputies. I'm going to close with this, uh, with this point, although don't get too excited. Might take me a while to get through this point. Our adversaries, deputies. I, uh, I came across an old quote. Um, actually, it came from a book entitled The Art of Warfare, um, written by a Chinese warrior that dates way back to the 6th century B.C. I believe his name is pronounced, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, something like Sun Zi. Sun, Sun Zi. A lot of good that does us, but that's what his name was. And, and the quote, uh, let me see if I can find it in my notes. I wrote it down somewhere, and I want to make sure I give it to you correctly. I, I believe it said something about the knowledge of the enemy, knowing the enemy. Where did I put it? Let me see if I can find it. Maybe I didn't write it down. I'll tell you what he said. <laughs> he said, to know your enemy and to know yourself will mean that you will not be imperiled though you fight a hundred battles. Literally, he means you'll have success if you know your enemy and you know yourself. One of the things we're trying to do in this reconnaissance story is simply to understand who the devil is. Now, I want to make no mistake about it. He's, he's more powerful than us. We'll give the devil his due. But he cannot compare to our ally, the Lord Jesus Christ. And I want to continually reiterate that to you so you understand that very thing. So let me talk about his deputies for just a minute. Because the fact is, he is not omnipresent. And, and he uses an army. He has an army. Now, you're familiar with this text, but let me give it to you. Ephesians 6 and verse number 12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, 
against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Now that passage of scripture gives us four levels of spiritual enemies that work with him. And I want to talk about those with you for just a minute. Let's take them one at a time. We wrestle against principalities. Principalities. The word in the Hebrew means chief. So these are chief angels. These are high-ranking angels. These are the captains, the officers, if you will, under his command. And then we have the term powers. Powers. And this is a reference to those who have authority. They're influencers. Be very careful with this so we understand we're dealing with an army that is set against us. Said Satan can't be everywhere at once. He's got his armies and they are in, in mass uh, numbers indeed. His fallen angels and his demons. I want to stipulate the difference. His fallen angels and his demons. And we'll come back to that in just a second to talk about. So uh, the, uh, the next on the list is rulers of darkness. Rulers of darkness, lords with, a, with a, a little L, not a capital, but lords of this world. As a matter of fact, in one passage, Satan is actually called the God of this world, little g. Let me make that very clear, little g, the God of this world. And then we have spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. And what that's referring to is simply higher than man, but inferior to God. And we need to understand that when we're thinking about who we're wrestling with. You say, well, our enemies today as, as a military, as a nation, we think about terrorism, we think about all that's going on in our world. Did you know that that can all be traced back to this one little thing? Listen carefully. That Jesus Christ is the Messiah and the only Son of God. Either you're for it or you're against it. And if you are against it, it explains a lot of what's going on in our world today. Our enemy is not flesh and blood. The devil's been working very hard to create that as an enemy. But in reality, it's that which is anti-Christ is the enemy. And the devil will uh, do all he can do to see that grow. Revelation chapter 12 and verse number 4, his tail drew a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was ready to give birth to devour her child as soon as he was born. So the great dragon was cast out, verse 9 says, that old serpent or serpent of old called the devil and Satan who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth and his angels were cast out with him. Now, of these two categories of his armies or his deputies, we have fallen angels and we have demons. You say, demons, uh, why are they different? I thought they were simply fallen angels. A lot of people think that. But here's an interesting point to make as you study your Bible. Angels can take on the appearance of man. We know this because of passages like that which deals with Sodom and Gomorrah and the angels who came, the angels who met with Abraham, the angels who went in physically to Sodom, the angels who knocked on the door and Lot opened the door to and invited them in. The men of the city who wanted those men to come out to them. These are physical appearance type angels. The Bible says we will entertain angels unaware. But a demon is a disembodied spirit. It can never manifest itself in physical form. It must inhabit a body. Possess a body. 
Where did they come from? You'll have to come on Wednesday night two weeks from now to find that out, okay? Two Wednesday nights from now because we're going to talk about that too. But they're disembodied spirits. I happen to believe they were under his control before the fall. And they were disembodied. Bayune spirits, body and spirit, who lost the body in the destruction of the earth, but were spiritual, had no soul. Not triune in God's image. Now that makes more sense when you stop and think in regards to this. When God said, let us make man, let us make him in our image. He was differing on man from every other creature. In that man would be triune, not biune. Of the fallen angels, there are two categories. There's a group, according to Genesis chapter 6, that left their estate. By the way, all angels in the Bible, I'm sorry about this, ladies, but just all angels in the Bible are always male. It's not Gabriella. It's Gabriel. It's not Michelle. It's Michael. You'll never find a female angel mentioned in the Bible, yet all the pictures you see are of women. It's because they're prettier than us guys. That's why they do that, I guess. But the truth of the matter is this, that there were a group of angels, fallen angels, who came among men, saw the daughters of men, and committed a horrible atrocity in Genesis chapter 6. The Bible talks about it in the book of Jude. Peter also talks about it. And he says they committed a sexual sin. That's what they said. And they likened it to the sins of Sodom and Gomorrah. Very interesting study. In Jude chapter 1, verse number 6, it reads this way, And the angels who did not keep their proper domain, but left their own abode, he has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day. Here's what happened. To that group of the fallen angels, God took them and put them into a place known as Tartarus. That's the Greek word translated hell in the Old English version. And it just means it's a bottomless pit. He took them and put them there, reserved in chains until the day of judgment. Was that their judgment? No, it was not. What is? The lake of fire was made for the devil and his angels. It was created for the devil and his angels. We'll talk about the creation of that and Satan's destiny next week. But right now, let me do this with you. Let me come all the way back to the beginning of our service. We have an adversary. We are given some advice. Three points of advice in concluding today we need to pay attention to. It seems as though people take one of two extremes when it comes to this subject. They either are so enamored by it that they pour themselves into a study of the spirit world, which I caution you against. Right. Against. Right. Or they pay no attention to it at all, which makes us very vulnerable in that we do not know our enemy. Right. Yes, Three things we need to do. They're all found in 1 Peter 5, beginning in verse 8. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him, steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. So here they are. Number one, be calm. The word sober means literally to uh, be of a calm spirit. A collected spirit. 
There's no need for you to leave here today afraid. No need for you to ever be afraid. Get up in the morning and put on your armor. Ask God to put on you the helmet of salvation and go out. You are more than a conqueror through Jesus Christ. There's no reason for you to be upset or fearful. God has not given you the spirit of fear. So be calm. Secondly, be cautious. Just because we're calm does not mean that we should not be vigilant. The Greek word here means to give strict attention to. Take heed, lest that through some form of indolence we have calamity that comes upon us suddenly and overtakes us. So just pay attention. Ask yourself, is this something that's going to throw my way just to devastate me, to devour me? I'm amazed sometimes at how little attention we can pay. One of my um, favorite videos is that little series of things they show on YouTube about the people with their cell phones texting and they walk into fountains. And <laughs> Have you seen that? I should have those available for you now, but some of you have already seen it. They're texting away and I was like, right in the mall and everywhere else they are. And it's so funny. People just not paying attention. Not paying attention. And then last of all, be contesting. I love this point. Contesting in the sense of the word says resist. The Bible says resist. It means literally to set oneself against, to withstand, to oppose. The Bible reads it this way in another passage, Ephesians chapter 6 verse 13. Therefore take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all to stand. Stand. You leave here today, put on the armor and stand, man. Does that mean the devil's going to come against you? Yeah, he's going to come against you. If you're doing anything for God, he's going to come against you. He will. One of my favorite verses in the Bible. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Make no mistake about it. We have Jesus as our ally. We have the armor that he has given us. And the adversary does not stand a chance if we'll approach it the way God tells us to approach it. And I hope that you will. May God bless you. Let's pray together.